morning, good morning, good morning. I hope you're doing well today. I hope uh, things are going well for you at home and um, life is uh, continuing to get better and better and better and better, better for you as we continue to move out of this COVID, all the restrictions and all that stuff. Um, I hope you're being safe and staying safe and trying to stay active. That's important. We are talking about engaging Jesus. Yes, we've been through this uh, for a number of weeks now, working on different engagements that Jesus has with different people. And I, I know we're now in May, and um, I, we may do this one or two more weeks, and then I'm ready. I'm working on a new series that we're going to move into, and uh, I think that'll be fun as well. So uh, today, though, we're, we're talking about this engaging Jesus, and the idea here is that we, we have our engagement with Jesus that we're working on, our personal engagement with Jesus that has to be growing. It's got to be like if you're growing tomatoes or cucumbers or corn or beans or whatever it is you grow in your garden at this time of the year. I got some tomatoes going. Uh, you have to take care of them. You have to nurture them. You have to water them. You have to give them plant food every once in a while. And you got to make sure if it's going to frost out, you cover them, right? And you're protecting them. Well, our spiritual life is like that too. It's growing. We have to feed it. We have to not just listen to a sermon once a week, but dig into the word a little bit, read the scripture, spend time praying to God and, and grow our own personal engagement or relationship with Jesus. Secondly, we want Jesus to use us to engage the world. He is used, using his church. That's the point of the church is that the church now is the body of Christ that Jesus can use to reach the lost. To reach the hurting, to reach the down and out, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who are naked, those who are in prison, all those things that Jesus said when I was, you know, you, you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And Jesus is saying like, that's our job as a church is to go out and engage the world so that Jesus can engage the world through us. Well, today's engagement is with a, a rich young man. He's a young man and he's going to come to Jesus. And our story is found in Matthew chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, I'm not going to put all of that on here. I'll put verses here in a minute up there. But I want to read from uh, Matthew chapter 19 in your scriptures. If you got your app, turn to the Bible on your app, Matthew 19. And Jesus is going to have this engagement with this young guy. And it's going to be very applicable to us applicable. That's a good word, right? Applicable. It's going gonna, it's gonna to apply to our very lives because, because in a lot of ways, you and I are a lot like this guy. So here we go. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. And Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and then come follow me. 
When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Great passage, great encounter, great story of Jesus and this man and their engagement together. And there's some really good things that we can take away from this that are going to be really, uh, really good for us to consider and to think about for our own lives. Okay, so, so this engagement that Jesus has with this man, this engagement is centered around uh, two things, really. Uh, I mean, there's other things going on here, but there's really two things that it's centered around that really applies to you and me right off the bat. The first one is the American dream. Okay, the idea that, that if you live in America, which is a great country, was, has been, we'll see. Because there's, uh, you know, forces out there trying to tear it up. But America, the American dream is, is, is that, that we're promised this American dream. It's why everyone wants to come to America, right? To get, to be a part of the American dream, right? Baseball, apple pie, and Chevrolet, right? Like if you come to America, there's, it's the land of opportunity and you can get rich and you can have a good life. You can have a great life. You can have a happy life. Well, it's also centered around, that applies to us, is priorities between the physical and the spiritual. So this, this whole engagement has these two elements kind of screaming out at you and me. And it's funny because most people believe, most of the people in our country or most people believe in God. You know, we, most people believe in God and they believe in heaven. Not all, but most. But even though they believe in God and know that there's a God, they still put God last when it comes to their priorities. Or at least not at the top. He's somewhere in the middle. And there's other things ahead of him. In, in, in practicality, in the way we live our lives, in real life living, we show we know of God. We wear the cross. We have the t-shirt. We say, I thank my Lord and Savior. And then we go to cussing and we go to living lives that are ungodly. And we, we don't represent God. We are... We are, we, are, we are saturated by the worldly uh, impact. And so our priority says God, but we don't live it. And that's, that's really interesting because there's a lot of that going on in our country if you watch it. A lot of people go to church, but God isn't the priority of their life. And so, so this story, this engagement, it centers around this in the way that it applies to us in that way. And then it applies to all humans, this, this engagement that we're about to dig into. It applies to all humans in one of three ways. And here it is. Some people, some people are all in when it comes to the physical, right? When it comes to the physical things of life, they are like all in. They're completely saturated. Their mind is just on the stuff of the world, collecting more, getting richer, having more stuff having more money, more homes, more stuff. And they live oblivious or they completely ignore the eternal. 
another group of people on this planet, and we're all in one of these three categories. Another one of these people are striving for the Bob with the W, the B-O-B-W. And, and that means the best of both worlds. They want, they want, and you think about this for yourself and other people, they want God, but they want all the riches too. They want to hold on to God, and they want to hold on to their stuff. And the third group of people are all in with Jesus, right? These are people who have come to understand or realize that the eternal that we have in Jesus is far, far greater than the physical. They, they have come to understand that, and they, are, they have come to realize that, that they are in the world, but they are not of the world. Okay? So every one of us, every one of us, fit in here somewhere, in some measure, and every one of us adjusts our lives and our behaviors and our attitudes and our habits accordingly. In other words, we live based on where we're at. We live it out in real life in one of these ways. And so this man, he approaches Jesus. Let's get into it. He approaches Jesus and he has a question for Jesus. It's a great story. It's a question that many people are asking, the question that he asked Jesus. It's a very good topic. It's a good topic because everyone wants to know. Most people want to go to heaven. I mean, if you ask people, hey, heaven or hell? <laughs> Most people are going to say heaven. There's a few weirdos out there that are going to say, oh, man, I want to go to hell, man. I'm going to party it up in hell. Well, you know what? They don't understand what hell is really going to be like. Because if you understood what hell is going to be like, according to the Bible, you do not want to even get close to that place. You don't want to go there. You do not want to go there. So most people in the right mind that have any idea of heaven and hell are going to say, I want to go to heaven. If I have a choice, I'll choose heaven. But here's the thing. Not all people are willing to put the kingdom of God first. They're not willing to put the kingdom of God first. And so this man comes with this great question. Let's talk about the man a little bit. Here's the man. Here's what we know about the man from the scripture that I just read. And also from Mark, little throw in, Harmony of the Gospels. So you turn to page 164, 165, and there's the story. We got it in Matthew, we got it in Mark, and we got it in Luke. And so we're going to get a full view of what's going on with this man because of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay? We're taking a little bit from everybody. And we're, we read it out of Matthew's. But we're going to take it from everybody. So this man comes to Jesus, and the man is respectful to Jesus. He says, good teacher, good teacher. Like, like it's not Lord. He doesn't call Jesus Lord and Savior. He doesn't say Master. He doesn't refer to Jesus as the Son of God or as God, but only as good teacher. Now, that's respectful. And we don't know if these two have ever met before. We don't know what this man has ever heard about Jesus. Maybe he's heard some things about Jesus. Maybe because we find out he is a man of the law. He is a, a Jew and then following the law. But what we do know is that maybe he saw Jesus coming with his band of disciples. And he kind of has seen this before with other teachers and rabbis. And so he, he just knew. He knew this is a teacher. This is a rabbi. And so... 
We don't know if he's ever known Jesus or saw Jesus before, but he says to Jesus, good teacher. That's, that's respectful. He is himself a ruler. It says that in the text. He is also rich. He, he owns lots of property, and according to Luke, he is extremely rich. So he's not just rich. According to the, the money people of the day, he's extremely rich. There's the common peasant folk. There's the people who have some stuff. There's the people that are rich. And then there's the people who are extremely rich. And we know who those are in our day today, right? There's that same category of riches in our land today. But, but this man, he's rich. And he's been obedient to the law, at least according to himself, you know, he's been obedient to the law. And he brings this question, right? He, he brings this question uh, to Jesus. And it's, it's a heaven-focused kind of question. Like, like, it's a good question about heaven. Kind of like the question we talked about asking a friend. You know, uh, several, several weeks ago, I posed that we asked this, this question in regard to heaven to a friend. If, if you have a friend and you want to try to create discussion and help them, you know, think about their relationship with Jesus, the question could be, how do you think a person inherits the kingdom of God or enters the kingdom of God? How do you think a person can go to heaven? Like, that's a good question just to ask somebody without threatening them. But that's the kind of question this man comes and asks Jesus. Well, he's a ruler, he's rich, he's obedient to the law, and he seems to be very conscious of God and aware of his own personal behavior. Like, he's a disciplined person. He's a man of, of intention. He is living with intention. He's, he, he's a good guy. In fact, he's a nice guy. He's polite. He's inquisitive. He's smart. He's rich, probably tall and handsome. I'm guessing this guy, this guy. Now, we don't know that that's what he looked like. But this guy is probably, I'm guessing, every girl's dream date. I don't know that for sure, but I'm, I'm guessing. He's every girl's dream date. This guy's got it all, including lots of money. Uh, but he's probably got, you know, all kinds of uh, resources, too, available to him. And he's a nice guy. He's kept the law. He's been a very, very good guy. Now, being nice, being nice, just a word on that, being nice is definitely a, a quality or a characteristic of God's. So we should be nice, okay? We, we need to be nice like the man is. We need to be nice. But being nice is not your ticket to eternal life. Being nice does not get you to eternal life. Being nice is something we should be as humans made in the image of God. We should treat people with love and we should be nice. But that's not what gets you into heaven. But he's a nice guy. This guy's a nice guy, he's, uh, he's aware of the law, he's rich and famous, and you might say this man represents, in our three categories, the guy who wants the best of both worlds. He wants the best of both worlds, right? He represents a lot of people on the planet 
who want all that life has to give and the riches of this world, and we want God too. We're hanging on to both. A lot of people in that very same position. And then he's going to ask the question. And here's the big question he's about to ask. In Matthew, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? In Mark, a man ran, ran up to Jesus, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to get eternal life or to inherit eternal life? And in Luke, it says, A certain ruler questioned Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So you see, Mark and Luke are very similar. Matthew's is a little different. A little different. And so this man, he's anxious. He is anxious to know. This question has probably been burning in his heart for a long time. And now he has come across a good teacher, a rabbi, and he wants to ask this question. He's got somebody that might know the answer to this question. That's kind of cool. He wants to learn from Jesus. And he comes with urgency. Look, he ran. He ran up to Jesus. And he knelt before Jesus, not as kneeling as in Lord, Savior, but kneeling as in respect. Can I ask you a question? That's kind of cool. And so the question that he asks Jesus, the big question is this. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? That's the question he asks from our text. Good teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life. Now this seems like a great question up front, doesn't it? It's a really good question up front. What do I do to get eternal life? It's a great question, right? But the wording of this question and the context of this question, coupled with the man's attitude and Jesus's response to the man, makes this question all wrong. It's all wrong. It's, it's whole surroundings and motivation is all wrong. Now, there's a right way to ask a question similar to this, and there's a wrong way to ask a question similar to this. And we understand that. Like, you could say something to somebody with a certain tone or attitude. Or you could say the very same thing to them with a different tone or attitude, and you will get two different responses. So we know what that's like, right? Okay. But there's three things, at least three things wrong with this. The first thing is this real quick. Let me point it out. He says, what must I do? I do. What, what do I do to get eternal life? That's the question he wants to ask. What do I do? So basically, and, and this is cool because the New Testament has not been written. Jesus is on the earth. All this man knows is the Old Testament. So all he knows is the law. He knows that the law says I need to act a certain way. And if I act a certain way, then I am, uh, I am walking with God or I'm close to God or I have a relationship with God. And that's all he knows is that I have to do certain things. So he's aware of the law, but he is totally unaware of grace and mercy. He is totally unaware that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't know that yet. And so this question is all wrong because it's based on what do I have to do? And while there's things for us to do and a response that we need to make, we can do nothing to get eternal life. And that's the second part that's wrong about the question is he says, what must I do 
to get? How do I get? Like, how, like, what good works can I do? Like, I kept all the commands. Do I get eternal life as my prize? Like, I put in my good deeds and pull the slot machine and money falls out. Like, I'm doing what I am supposed to do. What, what do I get? Or how can I earn eternal life? I'm a nice guy. Don't I earn eternal life? And that's another problem with his question. And the third thing is, is this assumption, if you look at the question, this assumption that eternal life is like some commodity, right? And a commodity that I can attain with human resources, right? And, and there's no doubt in my mind that this man is thinking, I've got the money, I'm extremely rich, Jesus, how much is this going to cost me? How much? Just name a price. I will pay my ticket in. Like, I want front row seats to the game. I want front row seats at the Super Bowl. Stand the cup, whatever sport you like. I want front row seats. I'm willing to pay the price to get there. Jesus, how much does it cost for me to get to heaven? What do I do? What do I have to do? How much do I got to pay to get eternal life? And so, for those reasons, this question is all wrong. Now, I have to note something because... What must I do, what good thing must I do, is not a horrible thought in the proper context. In the right setting, it's, it's not horrible, it's not really that bad, it's a good question. Because we know in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, it was a good question. Remember, Peter preaches the sermon, the, it's the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches that Jesus is the Son of God, and he says, you crucified the Son of God, and when the people realized that they had crucified the Son of God, they were cut to heart, and they said, what must we do? Same question, what must I do? Totally different context. Totally different attitude. Totally different heart behind it. See, in Acts chapter 2, the question, what must I do, is generated by a response to the fact that God sent his son and we crucified the son of God, the Holy One, the Messiah of the world. And the response to that is, what must I do? Oh no, we blew it. I have failed. What do I need to do to get right again? But here, here, the context is surrounded by human rule, human power, human riches, pride, a little bit of self-righteousness or self-arrogance. Similar to in Acts chapter 8 when, when uh, Simon the sorcerer thought, and he saw the apostles healing people through the power of God. He thought he could buy God's Holy Spirit power to heal people by, with his money. And, and they said, you fool can't buy it with your money. Similar to that. And so for that reason, for that reason, the question here is generated out of man's genius. Like, like I've got the money. I'm rich. I could buy the eternal life, right? I, I'm doing good things. I'm acting certain ways. I should get eternal life. It's all based on human behavior and human genius instead of on God's grace and mercy demonstrated in Jesus. And that's the big difference between this question and the what must I do question in Acts chapter 2. Jesus responds, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life or enter life, keep the command. So first part of this, Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? Like, 
Like you just call me good teacher. You know, you refer to me as good, but you don't believe that I'm God. Just think I'm a teacher. And there's only one good who is good, and that is God. So if you're going to refer to me as good, it can only be that I am God. Otherwise, don't refer to me as good because only God is good. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of kind of weird thinking going on there. But God is good. You're not referring to me as God. So don't refer to me as good unless you understand that I'm God. And then when you say good master or good teacher, you are saying God. But you're not saying God. You're only referring to me as a teacher. So don't call me good. Yeah. <laughs> and so Jesus responds, there's only one good. If you want to enter life, keep the commands. And here's the man's response. Which ones? Which commandments? Like, do I got to keep certain ones? You know, 8 and 10, 7 and 10. Like, like most of us, like we think about our life like, oh, okay, maybe 4 of 10. How about 3? Three? 3 of 10, I, I think I've kept 3. The other 7 I've destroyed completely. You know, I don't know. Which ones do I got to keep? And, and, and Jesus says, well, you know, you should not murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony out of your father and mother, love your neighbor, and basically keep them all, okay? You know, keep all the commands without any, without any, uh, you know, swaying or variance of them. Keep them all. And then I can imagine, I can imagine a really big smile on this man's face. Right? Because Jesus just said, keep all the commands. And the man is going to say, all of these I have kept. Boom. <laughs> right? All of these I have kept. Like, boom, I just aced that test 100%. I'm the man. Right? Like, all of these I have kept. I am good like that, Jesus. All your commands that you gave to Moses. I, I've kept them all. I've kept them all. And Jesus is just looking at him, and, I, and I'm sure something changed right here. This is the shift, right? This is part of the shift idea. Like, something shifted in this man where he began to realize that, that keeping all the commands was not what Jesus was talking about at all. See, this man, like so many people today, have been living according to the law. If I do this, if I don't do that, if I do this and don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, then I get eternal life. And the problem is sin still has to be dealt with. Keeping the law is how we represent God on the earth. Forgiveness of sins can't be covered by keeping the law. It can only be covered by the blood of the Savior of the world. This man doesn't understand this yet. Okay, he doesn't get this. But what he is doing is he's beginning to realize that it's not about keeping the law. And that smile that he once had about, I got this, has now turned to, hmm, my riches can't buy me heaven. My good deeds can't buy me heaven. I'm missing something. 
And, and this man came to a place where he realized he was missing something. And this is beautiful. This is a brilliant place to be. This is where the shift can happen. Is when you realize that keeping the law, you know, living according to God's word and his commandment, those are, that's good. We should live that way. But that doesn't get us eternal life. That doesn't cover the sin that we have to deal with with God. That's how we should live as children of God on this planet. We should obey God because it's his way. And that's the way we should live. Not our way. But that doesn't get us heaven. That doesn't get us forgiven. That doesn't get us into grace. And this man's beginning to realize it. And he asks this question. What do I still lack? That's a great question. All these I've kept. I've kept all the commandments, Jesus. Hmm. I'm missing something. I'm, I'm not getting something that Jesus is wanting me to get. And later he's going to be probably sorry he even asked. But I'm not getting something at this moment. And he asks this brilliant question. What do I still lack? What am I missing? What, Jesus, am I missing and then the second foot drops, right? The moment of truth, the moment of decision, the moment of priority, as Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, man of great wealth, give it to the poor, and then you will have treasures in heaven. And come follow me. Come and join my group. Come and be a part of the group that is walking, listening to truth from heaven. Come follow me. Like for this man, it's like right now, here's Jesus in the flesh with his group of guides in the flesh. This man has the invitation to come and walk with Jesus. Like give away all this stuff and come follow Jesus. Walk with Jesus on the earth right now. Like how many of us would be like, yes, I would love to do that. Come follow me, Jesus says. And this is tough. This is really tough because now the scale of his mind is going crazy. Crazy. My stuff, Jesus, my stuff, Jesus, my stuff, Jesus. And then the man's final decision, verse 22, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, let's just break that down a little bit. He went away. The man turned his back on Jesus and he walked the opposite direction. He walked away from Jesus, who is of great eternal value. Jesus represents the greatest treasures in all of creation and the universe. All of the eternal treasures of eternity are in Jesus. And the man turned and he walked away and it says he walked away sad. Why sad? Because in his sadness, he was clinging, clinging to his wealth. He was clinging to his wealth, which is of great 
physical value, but no eternal value whatsoever. And so he turned away from the eternal and he's clinging on to the physical. Now this is huge because he had great wealth. Now this is like, you know, there's some different analogies you could come up with with this, but this is like the Titanic. There it is. The Titanic is sinking, right? It's going down. It is going down, down, down. And you're on the Titanic and you are going to another land. So you have your big treasure chest. You've got a big chest with you in the room. And in that chest is all of your greatest treasures, the things that you treasure and are of value the most. And they're in that chest and you're in that room and the Titanic is going down and you have a choice to make. Do I cling? Do I cling to my treasure of chest, my chest of treasures that's going down to the bottom of Davy Jones' locker or do I cling to the flotation raft that's going to keep me afloat and save my life? Right? Those are your two choices. See, what most people want to do, this is where most of us are at, we want to hold on to our treasure chest and we want to hold on to the raft. And you cannot. You must choose. You must choose your treasures or Jesus, the raft. You must make a choice. And this man must make a choice. And really, it's that simple. It's just that simple. Like, like all of your treasures, write them down on a piece of paper. And then write the name Jesus on another piece of paper. And you ask yourself, which one will you hold on to when you got to let go of one of them? And most people live their lives like this man and hold on to their treasures ahead of their Savior. We say Jesus is number one. We act as if he is. But the evidence of our life, the decisions we make, our allegiance to our things, prove, prove that our stuff is far more important to us than our God. And Jesus then says, well, let's take a moment. This is an interesting statement. Somebody once said, rich people stay rich by living like they're broke. <laughs> a lot of people do that. And broke people stay broke by living like they're rich. Right? Isn't that true on our planet today? You know, people who don't have much, they want to live like they got a lot. And they continue to live with very little. And then there's people who have a lot of money and they live very frugal lives. And you'd never know they were even rich because, because they're pitch pennies. They're penny pitchers, right? And uh, that's kind of interesting, very interesting, I thought. But then Jesus said to his disciples, the man goes away sad, turns his back, and he goes away sad. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, it is hard it is hard for someone to, who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now I want to dissect this a little bit real quick. Okay? He says it is hard. It is hard. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now he does not say it's impossible. 
We all know that. We're all quick to point that out. Oh, he never said it's impossible. He just said it's hard. Well, let me talk about that for a minute. It's hard. It's hard for the rich man to enter. Let's think about it for a minute. This is not so much the difficulty in entering. It's not like, it's not like uh, you know, it's really hard to get into the kingdom of God because the same is true for a poor person as for the rich person. And that is accept Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord of your life. Surrender to him. Give him all that you are. Be willing to go wherever he sends you and you'll have eternal life, right? Accept Jesus Christ as Lord. Be immersed into Jesus. And have your sins forgiven. And it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what your status is or your job uh, career choice. It none of that matters. The playing field is level at the foot of the cross. Anyone can accept Jesus. So that is easy. So he, he's not talking about the difficulty in accepting Jesus as Lord, but the painfulness in giving up our stuff. That's what's hard. Get this, please get this. Got to get this. We got to get this right now because this is a life-changing thought here for you, for me, for all of us. See, the kingdom principles are things like this. He who has much, much will be required, right? Here's another kingdom principle. If you're faithful with little, you will be trusted with more or much. Kingdom principle. Well, here's another kingdom principle. The more that you have, the harder it is to let go. That's a kingdom principle. If you have nothing, then you have nothing to lose. And it's easy to let go of. The more things you collect the harder it is to let them go. Last week, we talked about the woman with the issue of blood. She was broke, she was poor, she was desperate, she had nothing, she was all in, 100% Jesus, trust and faith in Jesus. This man this week, he's rich, he's wealthy, he's got everything, he doesn't need God that much. And he goes away sad. It's not about accepting Jesus, coming to Jesus easy. It's about being willing to let go of your stuff. That's what makes it hard. That's what makes it hard. Now, not, not all of us, or not all who come to Jesus and engage with Jesus are going to stick. Not all who come stick. Many will walk away from Jesus. Because his call to them seems way too difficult, way too hard. You mean you want me to give up my things and follow you? Many who come will not stick. Coming to Jesus means that we come to Jesus on his terms, not on our terms. Not on our terms. We don't get to come to him on our terms. We don't get to hold on to all of our stuff and junk. And him too. It's not how it works. We have to choose where's the priority. Who's over what? Who is over what? And so Jesus in, in, in verses 25 through 30, which is kind of the rest of the story, a little bit of an explanation of what's going on, is about the riches and it's about priority. It's about putting Jesus first and being willing to give up everything to follow him. And so uh, after we're done here, read the rest of that, verses 25 to 30. It's only five verses or six verses. But here's what happens next. Uh, I don't think God calls every one of us to do what he called the rich man to do. Remember, he went away sad. 
And Jesus then said how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of, of God. Here's the thing. I don't think everyone, God is calling all of us to do what he's calling this rich man to do. Although he does call people to do that. He calls people to give it all up, sell it all, and go on a mission field. Go fly for missionaries. Go to Haiti. Go to Africa. Go to wherever. God does call people in our present day to sell it all, give it all up, and go follow Jesus. Go make a difference in the world. He does call people to do that. He's calling this man to give it all up and follow him. I don't think God calls all of us to do that. But I do believe that God calls every one of us who say we're followers of Jesus to do it in a heartbeat if he did ask. If he said, I'm opening a door for you to go across the world to reach lost souls, sell everything you got and go. If he asked you, if he opened that door, wherever it is, would you go? Would you give it all up and go? Yeah, this is about obedience. This is about obedience. This is about allegiance. This is about uh, priorities, all of that for sure. But first and foremost, this is about lordship. Lordship. Is he Lord or isn't he Lord? Is he just a good teacher or is he Lord of your life, owner, master, savior, fully in charge? Is he or isn't he? All of this reminds me, as we wrap this up, of, of my little monkey trap. I love this thing. Uh, it's a monkey trap. It's got a chain. This is a coconut. And there's a hole in the coconut. And, and the way that um, in the jungles of wherever, where they catch monkeys, they pin this thing down to the ground or a tree. They take the coconut and they put a piece of candy in there, right? Just a little piece of candy or something that the monkeys are eating, a, a cherry or whatever, a piece of uh, whatever. They stick it in there. And the monkey, the monkey comes along, he smells it, and he uh, sticks his hand in there and he grabs hold of the fruit or the, 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 the candy, whatever it is. And now because his hand is a fist, he can't get it out. He can't pull it out of the hole because it's bigger. And he will not let it go. He will not let it go. And the thing that he had, or thought he had, is now got him. The candy has now enslaved him. He doesn't have it, it has him. A monkey trap. So dumb, but these things will not let it go. They won't let it go. They think it's everything. Even though they're now enslaved to a coconut, they think it's everything. And the question for you and me is this. Are you willing, when it comes to your things and your stuff in your little world, are you willing to let it go? Are you willing to let it go? Are your riches subject to you and the God you serve? Or are you subject to the authority of your riches? This is a great question. This man leaves us with this one great, brilliant question. What? And I ask this 
And we should all ask this, God, as we cry out to God, God, not that I can earn my way into heaven. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about coming to Jesus and following Jesus and accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. We're going to do the commandments. We're going to live our lives according to the word of God because once we become children of God, we want to do what God said, and that's what he said. But coming to Jesus, we want everything else to get out of the way. And we want to ask this question, God, what, what do I still what, do I, what am I holding on to? What has a hold of me that I don't even realize? God, what do I lack? Father, we pray that you would move in our hearts through this man, this young man who went away sad. God, we, I pray we don't go away sad, but we go away contemplating. What is it, Jesus? What, God, can I do to draw closer to you? We need you so badly. So do our friends and so do our neighbors. So do our, our people, God. We love you, our workmates. God, please use us for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great, great week. We'll see you next time.